You're listening to the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. Remember to like, share, comment, subscribe, and click the bell to make sure you get the latest episodes of the podcast. Be sure to like and share our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. My name is Roberta Marachi Avery, and you're listening to the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. On the podcast, we have started a new series on the podcast looking at associate nations within cricket and how they are developing the game in their country. Many of us cricket fans know so much about the established cricketing countries and not enough on the associate nations who play cricket. So it would be nice to learn more about those associate countries and via the podcast, people can learn more as well. For today's associate cricket series episode, we are discussing all things Brazil women's cricket and joining me to discuss and talk all things Brazil women's cricket is the captain of the Brazil women's cricket team, Roberta Moretti Avery. Roberta, welcome. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. It's, it's a pleasure to have you on, Roberta, to, to speak about women's cricket in Brazil because everyone talks about the Brazil women's team and the rise they've been on and the success story they've been. And, I, and obviously many people would know that we spoke to Matt Featherston about cricket in Brazil uh, on, on this series, and he gave some very good, uh, you know, uh, advice and, and uh, what the team is doing and, and what Cricket Brazil is doing to promote women's cricket, but also men's cricket and, and uh, the good work that they're doing there. So it was, it was great to chat to him, but it's also going to be great chatting to you because... Uh, your cricket journey um, has been an interesting one and you're leading the way for women's cricket in, in Brazil and uh, in women's cricket in general, actually, flying the flag proudly, which is fantastic. So really looking forward to this chat and I hope everyone watching or listening will learn a lot about you as the person and your cricket journey, but also about women's cricket and what's it like playing a women's cricket as an associate player, because it's very different to a full-time professional in the full member countries. So it'd be great to get your insights in that. But Roberta, before we do that, as I do with all my guests that I've interviewed on the podcast, I'd like to take them back to when they first got into cricket. And it's been very fascinating listening to people's memories on how they got into the game. As I mentioned, your introduction and pathway into cricket is very different to those who come from a traditional cricket country and background. And you played many sports competitively before you took up cricket full-time. So, Roberta, let's go back to the very beginning of your cricket journey. What were your earliest memories of watching, playing, and even going to the cricket? So, yeah, it's completely different than the majority of people. Uh, I, I lived in England for a few years, and I remember that on TV, that was probably the 2005 Ashes. Uh, I remember it on TV, uh, yeah. men white, very slow, cricket, didn't know what cricket was. And uh, now, now knowing that it was the 2005 Ashes series, I wish I knew a little bit more to be, to be able to watch that. But I remember mm -hmm. flicking through the TV, seeing cricket and say, you know what, this is very boring and never watching it. But I knew cricket existed because I lived in, I was in England. Um, when, when I was in England, I got to meet my husband, uh, Richard, which is an Englishman, and we moved back to Brazil in 2010. Uh, when we moved back, uh, there was only one English person 
Tening Matt Feddersen. Richard and Matt met, uh, and they were both buddy friends. And uh, Matt was already starting the project here in Brazil of development cricket for Brazilians. And he invited Richard to be one of the coaches because we didn't have enough people that knew cricket to teach uh, cricket for kids. And he started teaching kids in 2012, uh, going to schools, and they had this evening softball game, um, which was very small court, uh, tennis balls being played at nights every Monday. And my husband said, you know, why don't you come? Uh, come with me. Um, it's fun. And let's have a go at it. And I said, no, we play golf together. We work together. We live together. Uh, I don't want to be involved in something else with you. You should have your time with your friends. But eventually I said, yes. I said, okay, let's go to this Monday evening, softball, cricket, whatever it is. And I went and I loved. I was like, oh my God, this is so much fun. Uh, this is good. And it, it was fun because it was like me, Richard and Matt, which were the adults. And everybody else was like 12, 13 year old kids. So it, we were the adults amongst the kids playing this game that is completely new. But it, it reminded me a little bit of the street game that we played uh, called Betty or Taco. So it was like really fun and brought some very good memories. And I started playing every Monday, but it was just for fun. It was just something that it was a hobby. Uh, but that year, Matt was starting the first women's um, city uh, team, local team, to play the nationals, the women's nationals. It was They were trying to make a women's national championship because we had a Brazilian national team play in Brasilia uh, and they wanted somebody to play against. And he said, Roberta, why don't you come and, and, and play and help the girls, uh, play with the girls? And I said, you know what? I have some free time. And uh, I started practicing every Tuesday afternoon with the girls. Again, I was 28 and the girls were 12. <laughs> and uh, I was part of the team. And uh, the first Nationals was amazing because I got to see other girls. I got to see other people that were playing the same sport that I loved from Brazil. And they were around my age, and uh, they were playing the, the Brasilia, Brazilian team, talking about South American championships, talking about international trips. And I was like hooked. I said, no, I want to be in that team. I want to be in the Brazil's team. Uh, I, I want to be traveling with them. I want to be representing Brazil in, an, in another sport. And it completely got me hooked. I started from, I don't want and I don't want it. It's just a hobby. I'm just going to do it for fun to be like, training whenever I could, uh, getting my husband to throw me balls, uh, trying to bowl, uh, trying to learn. I didn't know fielding positions. We didn't know anything. So yeah. trying to get everything absorbed because I wanted to be in the Brazil's team. And uh, I started playing 2013 and I got called, first called for the Brazilian team in 2014. So it was a quite quick turnaround. And mm. uh, the passion was from nothing to very high, very quickly. Yeah, yeah, that's that's wonderful to hear. That it's the thing with cricket, I suppose. It hooks you. It uh, drags you in, and you don't want to. You don't want to have enough of it. You you just want to keep playing and playing and have fun, and that's what you did. And now, being a part of the women's team in Brazil, it's become a profession, obviously now, and you do it on a professional basis. But you still have that fun element at the end of the day, isn't that right? You, you still play the game to have fun, even though it's serious try to win and do better and, you know, all this stuff. But you still have that fun element. Isn't that right? 
Yeah, that actually is that actually is quite interesting because I only knew cricket in Brazil the way it was played. So mm. we sang a lot, we danced a lot, we were extremely loud. Our warm-ups involved music, dancing, jumping. Uh, we have a song called Joy. We would sing this song all the time, between wickets, in the game, between overs. Uh, so it was like a very, very loud and noisy, and uh, we we would do a lot of things. There were all these shows being played. The Brazilian reverse shot, uh, the other. Like, I just thought it was normal, because it was the only cricket that I actually... Um, so I played, we played in 2015. The Argentinas are also very loud and very, uh, so I, I played 2014, 15, 16, and then I got called to go to Australia for internship uh, to learn about, and also to learn a little bit about, about marketing in cricket. And when I went to a game over there for the first time, I saw it was like, oh my God, this is very quiet. Why is everyone so quiet? Why is this so so like more stable? It's, a, a, it's completely different. And then I found out that the only countries that were playing that noisily with that much music, with that much dancing, was us. Uh, that was the Brazilian mm. style of cricket with all of that energy, all of that emotion was not normal for everyone. But we didn't have yeah. broadcast. We didn't have games being broadcasted for us. We didn't know any, enough about women's cricket anywhere else. Uh, so we created this style of cricket in Brazil that is a much more, I said, this joy, this passion is is for everyone. So even today, uh, we take a wicket, our celebration is completely different. We finish the game, the, the, the songs that we sing are completely different. And it, it brings that joy element a lot stronger to us. Um and also Brazilians love sports and Brazilians love Brazil and Brazilians love to represent Brazil. So when you see one of our girls, boys playing, you can see how much passion they bring from the flag yeah. that we carry. So I think that is, is very strong and we don't want to lose it ever because it's, it's part of being Brazilian. Uh, so we bring the, ser the, the seriousness, the gentleman's game of Brazil to the women's uh, carnival style uh, all together. And um, it, 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 but for me, it's funny because I had just it took me three years to understand that cricket was not played the way we played. It took mm. me three years to understand that cricket was not a neutral gender game. Because just when I went to Australia, that I saw the battles of the women, I went to USA in 2017 as well, and I saw that how difficult it was for girls to play cricket. And because in Brazil, it was always easy, Brazil yeah. started and in something that cricket didn't exist. So you already introduced cricket for boys and girls all the time. So the participation is something like 47, 53 boys and girls on yeah. grassroots. And in high performance, is actually with more girls playing than boys at this moment. So for, for I just broke into that scenario. I lived in this bubble of cricket Brazil for so long before I understood all the battles yeah. that women and girls had to go through in other countries to play this, this sport. Uh, so it, it's completely it's interesting the way that things have been done here. Now that we have more access, uh, we have the World Cup broadcasting in Brazil, we have the WBBL broadcasting in Brazil, some of the games of the BBL too, uh, through apps and things. Now the girls have more role models or more access than we had before. But before, I lived in a very protected bubble 
which actually helped a lot. Um, and the Cricket Brazil has grown with that belief. Cricket is for everyone. And I grew believing that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Cricket is a game for everyone. And um, I suppose every country has a different sort of culture. And it was it was interesting to hear you um, talk about that and trying to realise that, oh, yeah, you know, everyone plays cricket differently, but it's still the same game, but just a different sort of um, perspective on the game, which is what makes cricket so unique because it is very different. Uh, everyone plays it differently. Everyone um, embraces it differently. So that, that was great to hear that. Um, so you did mention that you were selected for the team, for the women's team of Brazil in 2014. And then obviously Brazil was granted women's T20 national status in 2018. So you made your debut officially in international women's T20 nationals in that game against Mexico, uh, which everyone made their debut actually, because uh, both teams pretty much debuted in international cricket, which was not something you see every day on a scorecard, everyone debuting at the same time. But that that was great. And um it's been a, it's been an interesting journey from that moment until now. Can you just tell us that moment when you realized that you would be in the team, first of all, and then to become a international cricketer? Tell us about that that feeling and that moment. Uh I I I always had so much passion for sports. And uh, the first time that I played in 2014 uh, for Brazil, it it was super exciting, but I, I didn't really understand the, how big it was. Uh, so I was playing for Brazil in the South American Championship, uh, but I kind of felt that like, okay, you know what? There's not many girls that do that. Uh, so I'm one of the girls that is doing that, but it's not that, it, it's, it's special, but it's not like ultra special. Um, on 2018, status, I knew that things were different and we had a much bigger pathway. We had much more girls playing um, and we were already South American champions at, at, at that time, but we were trying to regain it because we lost the South American championship in 2017. Um, but uh, it, it, it was my second year of captaincy. So for me, it had a completely different feel. It was like I had a sense of responsibility with that team. Um, and I wanted to win the South American Championship for the first time as a captain. Uh, I wanted to bring the style of cricket that I wanted to introduce to Cricket Brazil uh, all during those years. So it felt different. It felt like something big was happening in the cricket world. I felt part of the cricketing world. And I felt that we were seen for the first time. Uh, yeah. Before it was like this small tournament that people played. And... Um, that was it. It looked like it was fun. Um, in 2018, it became something big. We had paperwork to fill up. We have things to show. We, we actually were seen by the cricketing world in a more professional way. And it was the first step for us actually to be contracted in the soon future after that. Because if we if we were not recognizing the status uh, of the ICC, we would never be contracted. Because why would you invest in a, in a, in a team that was nothing yeah. in the world uh, officially? So it, it, it felt completely different. And for me, the responsibility was different as well. Uh, it was not only a hobby anymore. It was something that we needed to show the world what Brazil was doing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it's always a proud moment when you represent your country in any sport, but but also cricket, that honour of, you know, being a representative of the country and just 
doing your best and, and making people proud and supporting the team. So that, that, that was fantastic to hear, uh, hear that from you. Um, Roberta, many, many players have mentors and people that they turn to when they're struggling and need help in this game because we know cricket's a very hard game at times. It's mentally draining. There's more, there's more failures than success, so you need to rely on people to help you out and, and guide you through that. Um, so, Roberta, who have been the mentors that you've turned to in your cricket career that you've, you've turned to for advice and, and guidance whenever you're struggling or just about the game of cricket in general? Oh, I, I'm so lucky uh, because although I don't live in a cricketing world, I had so many good mentors in my life. Uh, it's difficult not to open up this answer without talking about Matt. Uh, Matt, Matt Federson, he has been my mentor from day one. When, when we started, no one around us knew cricket. Matt was our reference. Uh, but he was, I, I have been studying a lot about mentorship and every time I'm studying that subject, uh, Matt comes to mind so much because the way he mentored us was never giving all the answers. He always guided us and gave us references and showed, and allowed us to make our own decisions uh, by guiding us, by teaching us about the game. So as a cricketer, he was definitely my first mentor uh, to understand the game, to understand how the game was played. And when I once I got more involved in the administration, he became this life mentor for real. Uh, and not only in cricket, he liked, he he helped me a lot in the, my golf career as well. And uh, but Matt has been that person throughout my whole life. I know if I pick up the phone right now and ask uh, and want to talk to him about golf or life or anything, he's gonna be the person to listen and to guide. Uh, so he's being a person that uh, is even difficult to put into words. I remember once I was very frustrated in the golf tournament. I had lost the third tournament in a row leading on the last day and losing the last day. And I remember ringing him like Sunday evening. Uh, who answers the phone that Sunday evening? Nobody wants to talk on the phone on Sunday evening. <laughs> and kind of in tears, uh, extremely frustrated. I was already the captain of Brazil, of cricket Brazil. I was ringing him about golf and uh, he, 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 was, he gave me so much wise words at the time. Things that I share even today with the girls uh, about the, the moments that there's no victory and there's no defeat that lasts more than 24 hours. And I had a big trouble understanding that because of the, the nature of golf, because it's everything is on you, isn't it? And uh, the, those were his words always make me feel better or at least gave me a path to go through. So definitely he was my first mentor. Uh, but I always wanted to find women that could mentor me as well. Um, uh, Matt is a was a professional player, professional cricket player. Uh, he lives in Brazil. He's the most Brazilian Englishman that I ever met. Uh, so he's the perfect person to be talking to. But I always had in the back of my mind, like maybe uh, a, a woman player is going to have a different perspective or different, or is going to get me in a few things that Matt sometimes has trouble understanding because he's not a woman. Yeah. And uh, in 2017, I had the opportunity of having a training camp with uh, Charlotte Edwards and Claire Taylor. Claire Taylor, former English captain, she was so open about everything that she's gone through, all of her struggles, all of the things that she had to battle, uh, all of the things that she had to think on the game. So mentor, extremely good. Uh, and uh, I think she was one of the persons that made the most difference for me at that time, because it was a time 
that I was starting to understand cricket in the world, not only cricket in Brazil. And it, in the last year, uh, one person that has helped me a lot uh, that I love to death and that uh, is, is Julia Price. She spent three weeks with us in Brazil. Uh, and as a captain perspective, as a player perspective, she was an, she's an unbelievable mentor. Uh, every tournament after I finishes, I talk to her. And uh, when I have questions, I talk to her. And uh, she's that person that leads me in a very modern game. She's a coach now. She's a, she played for so long. Uh, so she has a big, very, very big understanding as a player captain right now. So she was the third person that I think that affected my life a lot. And uh, all of them had big shares and big importance in my life. And uh, Matt is still is a, a person that uh, I know that I can talk to anytime. And uh, definitely a person that impacted me a lot in life. Yeah, absolutely. Do you see yourself as a as a mentor to the to the young group of girls who who play in the team? Do you do they uh, seek you for advice and, and guidance whenever they're struggling with their own game? I always saw myself as a leader uh, in the group, even when even before when I was a captain. Uh, now I say I I can understand that in the last two years I have been leader mentor. Uh, more moving more to a mentorship than a leader. Uh, I think all mentors are leaders, but not all leaders are mentors. Um, and I think now going forward, the mentorship is going to get stronger. Um, first, because I understand more about who am I and uh, what I want my legacy to be and what, what I want people to go through. The, I understand more my career, understand more my, my path. So I can start mentoring people more on that. For a long time, I have been trying to understand exactly what I what I want to achieve and how I want to achieve things. Uh, but next year, I'll be stepping down from the captaincy, and I think this mentorship is going to be even bigger because I don't want to I don't want to tell the other captain what to do uh, because each person has their own uh, their own way of leading. Uh, but I want to be there to mentor her on the on things that she may need. And I think that's already happening quite strongly, uh, but in the future it's going to be even more. Absolutely. It's it's always a difficult thing, I suppose, leadership succession and instilling in the new captain and, you know, letting her or him do what they want to do and lead the team in their own way. So um, that was good to hear about mentorship and the mentors you've had in your, in your life, but also cricket career. Um, Roberta, over your career, you've played it, played with and, and against some of the best players in the world um, and played at some of the most iconic grounds in world cricket as well and and been to so many countries around the world while playing cricket. So, Roberta, if you had to choose your favourite player to play with and against or someone that you've admired, like a cricketing idol, your favourite ground and your favourite country that you've played in, in in cricket, what would they be? I know that's a bit of a mouthful, but uh, try and answer that if you can. Can my favorite ground be in a different country? Yeah, yeah, any any country. <laughs> okay. Uh, I've never played with this person, but I would love to. Seriously, she was my first role model, my first idol, and I literally cried when I met her, and I cried when she retired, is Meg Lenning. I would love to play with Meg Lenning. Yeah. Um, she, uh, I heard so many stories about her. I heard from players that played with her. I think I watched every single thing that I was able to about her. Uh, 
I think she's the best captain that I ever seen men or women play. Um, I, I I will miss her. Uh, I I I don't want to see the next World Cup in Australia without her. Uh, but Meg Lenny, I would love to play with. Um, yeah. And just listen to what she's talking about and uh, things like that. For me, she's she's the very, she's the person that I I, I would look look up to anytime. Um, favorite ground for me would be the Lords. Um, yeah. I saw them win in 2019 men's World Cup final there. Um, I was uh, I, I'm a member of the MCC Foundation Players Eleven. Uh, I'm an ambassador there, so I'm pretty sure I'm gonna over there. So I'd love to be able to play over there once. And now country, that is a difficult one because I loved I loved Australia. Um, but there's one place that the it was very special for me. Uh, it was a Q book competition in 2020, uh, sorry, 2022. Uh, we played in Rwanda. It was such a nice place. Uh, the country, the history, the ground, the history of the ground itself, how it was uh, formed. A lot of uh, players went over there to help, uh, done by volunteers. The energy of the Rwanda crowd and the people watching us play it i never i never saw that not even in brazil uh the music and the noise and the the, the celebrations and understanding it was so special so if i could play lords in rwanda with meg Lenin, would be the perfect day <laughs> <laughs> yeah the pretty good answers um i know that's a very difficult one because you know you, you're so lucky with your cricketing career that you go to these places and grounds and you meet players and obviously um, have this opportunity to to mingle with other people in cricket and uh, it's a very hard thing to try and separate into those categories but uh, that was good to good to hear your answers to those questions. Um, Roberta your, your career isn't done yet and you still have more to offer the game in Brazil when it comes to women's cricket um, but you know as we've all athletes you know there comes a time where you do have to you know retire and let the next generation to take over it's just the natural thing you do in sport but do you ever take a moment to reflect on your journey and what are you most proud of and do you have any regrets oh good question i don't think i ever got asked about any regrets interesting so uh I, I, yeah it's funny about the career because i still I announced my my retirement and I already gave up on it. I'm still going to go for another at least another couple of years. <laughs> uh, I'm super proud of so much. Um, I, I'm extremely proud that I was able to play outside Brazil, not only for Brazil, for example, to play fair break, uh, to play fair break 11s, to go to Hong Kong, Dubai. I played in USA, a few tournaments, not as Brazil, to be like recognized as a cricket player in the world, not only cricket playing in Brazil. That is something that I always wanted to do. I wanted to do for golf as well. I was not able to do it for golf as I, as much as I, I played for Brazil, but not played outside. Uh, but I was able to do that with cricket, which really, really makes me super proud. I think one of the proudest achievements for me is to, able to talk highly about women's cricket, to be able to see a reference on women's cricket, and to use social social media, social media to empower girls, uh, to 
listened about girls and like, oh, Roberta, I heard your story. I heard your, uh, you in a podcast and that really inspired me to play cricket. This, this for me is is one thing that is close, so close to heart. Um, I heard Kate Cross once say that she wants to play uh, so that the, the girl that is picking up the bat right now is able to feel inspired by her playing. And uh, for me, it's kind of the same. I want to to be able to impact the game in a way that the girl that is picking up the ball for the first time, the bat for the first time now, knows what she's able to do, knows what she can do. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's not for me about how many trophies I get, how many MVPs I get, but it's about a girl that is starting now saying, you know, I want to play like Roberta because I want to do what Roberta is doing because I want to be the best version of myself. Or even if she doesn't want to play competitively, but that she just wants to carry the smile while you're playing a sport because she can play a sport. Uh, not because she, the world is telling her not to. I want them to believe that they are able to do whatever they want to do. And I think for me, that's the thing that I'm most proud of because I had that role model in my life. My mom was that person in my life for me, breaking all barriers and uh, showing everyone that she, want, she, she was going to do whatever she wanted, regardless of men telling her that she couldn't, she was going to. So I had that role model very close to heart and I want to make sure that the girls and boys that are, starting playing now they know that they can achieve whatever they want if that's their real dream uh they can go for it now regrets it's a very difficult question well easy one is i i i regret that i didn't start playing cricket earlier and started uh my career would become different um i i, I do have a few regrets like um because my my leadership style has evolved a lot. Um, no, I, I can I can even give it as an answer. I regret that I probably didn't uh, change my leadership style earlier. Yeah. But maybe if I had changed my leadership style earlier, I wouldn't be the person that I am now. So maybe I don't have any regrets on that. My regret would just be not playing cricket in an earlier age. Maybe if I had started when I was twenty. Uh, yeah. things would be completely different. Yeah, no, I think everything that I did that maybe I'm not super happy about now is exactly what made me the person that I am. And I'm I'm happy with the person I am right now. So uh, I guess everything is part of the evolution and growth of, of everyone. Yeah, uh, that's uh, good to hear that. Um, what advice would you give to young girls and who want to play cricket or sport and have ambitions of playing cricket or sport at the highest level, what piece of advice would you give to any young girl who wants to aspire to something big in their life? Ooh, it's, uh, it's something that I still talk a lot today, uh, but you've got to trust the process. It, it's not a hundred meter sprint, it's a marathon. Uh, so you have to understand that you have to build things slowly until you get the results, the big results that you want. But you have to do everything that, that you have to trust the process from the beginning. So yeah. the beginning is boring, isn't it? Uh, because mm -hmm. it takes so long for you to score 15 runs. It takes so long for you to score a 50. And um, it takes long for you to learn how to bowl and bowl variations. But if you don't do, if you don't build that uh, well, it's most likely you're not going to be able to achieve high performance. I wouldn't give that advice to a girl that's just starting to play for fun. But if it's something like they want to go for the big dream of representing Brazil, 
uh, being contracted outside Brazil, I would tell them to have patience and uh, believe the process, but never, never, ever forget about having fun. If you're not having fun, everything gets boring. If you're if you don't know how to enjoy every part of the process, yeah. and sometimes you have to guide yourself to have fun on that time because it's not fun to do drills for 45 minutes every day. Mm. Uh, but if you make it fun, if you make it, if you celebrate the little wins, if you do it in a nice way, it becomes very enjoyable and uh, makes the whole process be nice. Um, so have fun, trust the process. It's a marathon and it's definitely not a 100 meter sprint race. I think that's a good piece of advice. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, so hopefully uh, people watching or listening would uh, um, hear, hear that advice and uh, put it into practice, hopefully, to aspire big things, um, either in sport or in life in general. So fantastic advice there, Roberta. Um, I, Roberta, I, I thought we'd talk about the Brazil women's cricket team because that's the reason we got you on, because you're the captain and it's a wonderful thing what the team has done in a short span of time. And uh, it'd be good to gain your insights on the women's team Learn more about the achievements of the team, the players, the stories, because many of the players come from some diverse backgrounds. And there's always characters in a team, aren't there? Someone who always, you know, plays up, plays tricks or anything like that in a cricket team. So we'd love to hear those as well. But as I said, the team has come over a lot of hurdles and barriers and it's the rise has been fantastic. It seems like a tight-knit group from the outside. Everyone enjoying playing cricket together obviously becoming professional contracts as well has made a big difference. The investment that Matt and Cricket Brazil have done to really back the women's team, um, make it what it is today, and it's, it, it's paying off in a big way. So, Roberta, for those who may not know a lot about the, the Brazil women's cricket team from afar, can you tell us more about the team, the players, some of the stories, what goes on in the team, the characters, the coaches, the support staff, who make the team what it is today? Uh, interesting. I love that group of girls so much. Uh, and you are right in one thing. They come from very diverse backgrounds. All the development of cricket in Brazil, and I'm pretty sure Matt spoke to you about that, comes mm. from um, underprivileged communities, underprivileged schools um, that receive cricket in their schools and their projects, and the pathway starts from there. So the majority of these girls come from a, a, a school that are not so, uh, from a poor economical background community, and they joined the club. And from this club, they started playing cricket uh, for the local team and the local tournaments, and now the Brazilian team. Uh, and it's funny because a lot of them, their families don't play cricket. Uh, they don't play sport. Uh, there are girls that come from a community that doesn't really incentivize women's sport, doesn't really open doors for women's leaderships. And uh, they grew into these women, these girls, uh, that are learning to have their voice and they're representing Brazil. They're playing a sport competitively. Uh, they are uh, having to have performances and learning everything about themselves uh, as powerful women and role models in the community. So we have um, uh, Laura Cardoso. Laura Cardoso is an 18-year-old girl. Uh, she played both fair breaks, and she was the girl who took a five-wicket in an over to win this, the game against Canada. 
So we became run, run, uh, runners up in the ICC qualifiers in 2021. And I remember uh, we were in that game um, versus in Mexico, two 2,500 meters altitude, desperate, and the lowest scoring games, terrible pitch. And I remember that we were in control, cruising to victory. Um, and uh, in, with four, four hours to go, we took a wicket, and uh, this batter from Canada came in and started scoring runs in the pitch that had no runs. And we end up having to defend three runs in the last over to win the game. And I remember looking around. Uh, I had a lot of bowlers that were quite senior. Um, I remember looking around and Laura Cardozo, which was in her first tournament, she was 16 at the time. She had her eyes. She was staring at me like big eyes. <laughs> and I look at her and said, I have to give this girl the ball. Um, yeah. I gave her the ball. I spoke to her a little bit. And, that, and at that time, we're still learning how to... Bowlers didn't set up the field at the time. The bowlers would set up yeah. the field with the captain because their, their knowledge was still so low. So we set up the field kind of together. And I said, if I had to give this ball to anyone right now, this person would be you. So have fun. And I threw her the ball. And she had dot ball, wicket, wicket, hat trick, wicket, wicket, and then run out on the last ball for one run. Yeah. And I remember like leaving that and I could see her face and I could see the team's face. I could see everyone. And I, it reminded me that girl showed up in cricket when she was 12. She was, she loved the sport. She loved cricket. She had a dream of representing Brazil and uh, the tears in her face. And thing, I still remember that very much. And in fair break uh, in Hong Kong this year, uh, she was bowling um, and I was 12th person and uh, she was bowling at Danny White. The year before in fair break, when uh, Laura Cardoso met Danny White, she wasn't able to share a word. She was crying. She wasn't able to say anything. She cried so much. And I remember like, okay, this is a great encounter, isn't it? Laura can talk. She doesn't stop crying. Danny White is stopping like her, looking at her like, yeah, hi, that's me. Uh, so the following year, when Laura was bowling to Danny White and she took her wicket, and I, I, I ran down to the field and gave her a huge rug, and this rug was recorded and uh, broadcasted everywhere. And I, I look at her and say, Laura, this is the moment. That I, so I, I saw that girl coming from a project, bowling with a tennis ball, bowling uh, in the club with a, uh, with a softball, playing the local league, shy girl, working hard, taking five wickets, going to fair break, and then taking her idol uh, on a wicket. I see the progression of these girls and I, I, I think it's so amazing. So Laura Cardoso is definitely a person that to look out for. Uh, she has a great story, very humble girl, very hardworking girl. And I think this is the person that moves my heart. She's the one that we keep working to the next girl that's picking up the bat can be like her. Yep. Uh, and we have a lot of different characters. Uh, one girl that did not come from a project, uh, her name is also Laura, Laura Agatha. She was one of these girls playing taco in the street. And uh, she was playing with a broomstick, uh, hitting tennis ball with a broomstick, uh, scoring runs. And now she is the opening bat from Cricket Brazil. So there's a lot of groups. So we have very group because we spend so many hours. And I, I guess that all of us have the, the dream of representing Brazil, of being part of the global uh, World Cup qualifiers. That we share a dream. 
So because we share this dream together, we respect each other a lot and we learn how to love each other and love the game. Um, and it helps a lot. Uh, it's very good to be with that group of girls. And now that we have the development girls coming, um, they're coming in the same group. So we're becoming like yeah, um, that, that's fantastic to hear about how, how um, the team is progressing and type of the characters there as well. Um, what what are the the future goals of the team? What do you want to try and achieve and and do any world tournaments, T Twenty Women's World Cup on the horizon? Hopefully, a, a fifty over World Cup as well one day. But that's something that you're building towards. What are the big goals and ambitions for for the women's team going forward? Uh, I think the goal is to be part of the World Cup, T Twenty World Cup. Um, next in twenty twenty five, we want to be qualified for the global qualifiers. I don't think the T20 World Cup uh, objective is going to come soon. It's, it's, I think it's, it's a, like eight to ten year uh, plan, uh, but I, th I completely think that is possible. Uh, with cricket being part of the Olympics now, although it's going to be very difficult to be a uh, player representative in the Olympics, uh, country representative, but it, it helps us because of the financial uh, support that we get from Brazil. So I think that's going to be a turning point uh, for us. Hopefully that also becoming part of the Pan American Games, um, like it was part of the Commonwealth Games. So maybe that's going to be something uh, that is going to happen in the soon future as well. Uh, you know, of course, get the ODI status and uh, play ODI uh, qualifiers. Uh, we is it still um, 50 over is still not played in Brazil, uh, but we have the opportunity to play. We have uh, the ability to play that. So we want to make sure that that is also. Uh, in the in the medium term, uh, something that we are part of, uh, but definitely T20 World Cup and uh, be on the uh, top 25 teams in the T20 rankings as well uh, in this five to ten years happening. Hopefully, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully that does happen, and uh, we see that growth and development continue onwards and upwards. Uh, obviously, we've mentioned it throughout this chat thus far. Captaincy. Now, obviously. In 2017, you were appointed as captain a few years after you got into the side, which is only a three-year gap from 2014 to 2017. So that, that sudden responsibility put on your shoulders. Oh, I'm suddenly the captain of the team. I've got to really step up. But as everyone knows who's watching or listening, who's played cricket at different levels, whether international or club or whatever, being the captain is the most toughest job and challenging job in the game of cricket. You've got so many things to think about, field placements, um, all that stuff, tactics, talking to the team about what we want to do, how we're going to play our cricket, all this stuff. Um, so, so tell us about your captaincy journey, Roberta, and how do you balance being the captain and the player trying to perform both roles in the game? Well, it has been such a journey. I'm actually talking a lot about that right now because a lot of the players that are in the team did not see the journey from start to end. My journey it just has been a seven-year journey. When I was appointed captain in 2017, we were a non-professional team. Uh, so we, my, part, my job as a captain was to uh, organize training, um, organize coaches, organize uniforms, logistics, 
flights fundraiser because if the girls are coming from a poor background, economical background, they don't have money to travel. So we would do bingos, garage sales, clothes sales, chocolate sales, sell chocolates and traffic lights. We would do all the fundraising for the team to travel for the South American championships. Um, not only, and also other championships that we had to play. So we would fundraise for everything. I was also the person that would organize it. Uh, take passports, uh, get passports uh, out for the girls, documentations, uh, authorizations from the parents. Everything was my role. Uh, so I was not only playing and training, I was also uh, coaching and organizing the whole logistics that a team manager and a coach would do. Uh, in 2018, was still the same. 2019 was still the same. So my first mm-hmm. three years of captain, all of that was my role. And I came from an individual sport. Uh, so I came from golf. So before I was a captain, I knew all my stats. I knew everything that I had to do to become MVP. Everything that I had to do to become uh, the player, the, 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 the best batter, best bowler, best everything. I knew all my stats. Uh, I, I remember 2014, my first tournament, the first game that I played, I took three wickets for two overs. Everybody else bowled four. And I bowled two. Uh, but I, I was the best wicket taker. So I, re- I have a picture of this. And I, I, I showed up to my captain's door. And I said, why am I not bowling more? Like, I want to bowl more. These are my stats. So I was so competitive. And I was so fascinated by my own stats. Um, and I remember my captain talking to me about that. And um, sometimes not in a positive way, like, you you know, it is a team game. And once I became a captain, that switched straight away. So I, I still knew all the stats. I still knew everything, but I knew everything from the team. I knew how I had to use everyone in the way that they were better. So for me, it was always a very statistical game. Uh, but once I became the captain, it was not about the individual anymore. It was about the team. So I always used that to my advantage. And I still do. I still love it a lot. Uh, but that click was the first thing that happened to me once I became a captain as a player. In 2020, Matt spoke to me like, okay, we're going to become professionals. So now you guys you guys are going to have proper training, proper coaching. Uh, you don't have to fundraise anymore. You're going to have uh, money to pay for your uniforms, for your flights, for your hotels, uh, team managers and everything. So a huge part of my captaincy was not existent anymore. So I was able to be like the captain on field, the captain with the uh, uh, with the coaches and the player. So I started the second step of my captaincy where I actually could have uh, spent much more time dealing with me as a player and uh, learning how to be be a better player. And I guess it was a time that I became much better batter. Uh, I stopped bowling at the time, but I was a much better batter and a much better captain as well. I could learn a lot about tactics and uh, technical parts and how to manage the game uh, better. I think it was my best evolution. And uh, I, I guess the, the last bit now, the third part of me as a captain is the, the mentor, uh, how to become, how to have new leaders in the group, how to have new voices in the group, and how to have a good Brazilian team despite of having Roberto or not. Uh, I want a team that is able to be good without me. Uh, I want a team that is able to keep the Brazilian uh, legacy without me in it. And a lot of that third step it started happening last year when I actually started going through the mental, um, uh, the, the mental battle. And um, 
I, I went to the South American Championship without wanting to be in the South American Championship because the team needed me. Um, mm. I said, I don't want to do that again ever in my life. So I want, if I'm not well, I want the team to be well, uh, even without me. So I guess it was three phases. The person that would do everything, the person that invested in themselves as a player with the support of a team, and the person that is in the team that is good, but if she's not in the team, the team is still good. Uh, so I guess my captaincy went through these three phases. I have been talking a lot about that because of the new captain uh, selection. And also because I want people to understand that you evolve as a person, you evolve as a captain, you evolve as a leader. If you allow yourself to be, to have uh, your own feedback, if you listen to feedback from others, if you want to become a better person, all of those things can happen. Uh, just you have to be open for them. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's good, good to hear about your, your philosophy on captaincy um, and uh, talking about that. And, and uh, I suppose that's what, what happened back in the old days in cricket where they weren't professional. The captain had to do everything, you know, front up the press conference, organise everything that, you know, the team needed to be organised. That's all changed now with backroom staff, team managers and support staff. But, um, yeah, it was, it was very interesting knowing that, you know, you had to do the old ways to try and get by and, and uh, you know, support the team in the best way you could as a leader. Um, obviously, the, the team itself, in terms of the brand of cricket, what sort of brand of cricket does the women's team play? How do you want to go about your cricket and, you know, play the game? What's your philosophy on that as a, as a captain, but also as a team in general, the more of our brand? What's our brand? We, we want to be a team that is not afraid to fail uh, by trying to do the good things. Um, yeah. So we, we don't want, uh, I think when we started playing, uh, we had a lot of fear of failure because we didn't know how to win. Uh, yeah. I think now, as with the professionalism, with more involvement, we want to make sure that we are not afraid to fail, playing positively and uh, 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 supporting ourselves. Um, I think the in women's sport, uh, there are a few things that make a huge impact in the team. And uh, one of them is to make sure that you're being supported by your own teammates, your own teammates, and that you trust your own teammates. And those things happen when you are not afraid to fail and you're being positive and you're getting supported. Uh, so that has been happening for the past 18 months and has it's something that takes time to be fully established, but you can see the difference in the players and you can see the difference with us uh, over there we didn't have a great last tournament, but we know what we had to work on. And we everybody was working on without any um, thoughts of like, oh, my God, we failed before. We don't want to fail again. We are like, no, we failed before. We are going to use that to build the future, to build our future victories. And we use that for our growth. Uh, and I think that's what we want, to think pos positively about the game and to be positive about what we can do to be better, not being afraid of what we can do to make it worse. I think that's not the right path. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose that's the thing in cricket, always trying to be positive uh, despite failures, because in cricket, you have more failures than success. So, you know, it makes you better as a team. And it's good to, good to hear that the team is embarking on that sort of direction, which is fantastic. Um, I heard once in the stat that uh, a cricket is a sport that you're successful if you just... Fail 60 to 7% of the times. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, so right. you have to learn how to deal with yeah. failure. Otherwise, you're never going to be happy about the game. So you have to know you're going to fail. Uh, but yeah. as long as when you're successful, you, you keep trying to have a positive impact and a positive attitude, things are going to be much better. Yeah, I suppose cricket teaches you great life skills and it's about resilience and perseverance and keep trying once you fail, get back up again and try again. You'll have success. So cricket's a great life teacher as well. Um, any tips you would give for any young cricket captain out there, boy or girl, who is embarking on their captaincy journey? What would you give them for advice? Uh, first of all, I would say uh, listen. Uh, a lot of answers come from from within. Um, so you have to be very, um, you have to have a lot of empathy uh, to be able to connect with other players, to connect with the, listen a lot uh, to the players and also observe a lot. Um, you can listen, you can learn about the game, learn about your opponents, learn about your own teammates, uh, just because you're stepping back and watching everyone else. Uh, and always, always be very true to yourself. If you're appointed captain, it means you have good values. It means you have good skills. It means that you are a leader. Uh, so trust yourself. Be true to yourself. And uh, because it's going to have a lot of things that are going to happen that is going to uh, impact the way you think. Uh, but be true to your values um, and listen and observe the others. I think that is something that I learned how to do much better. and. Um, it has helped me a lot, uh, but be true to your values. If you are there, there's a reason and uh, trust them and um, it's going to help you. If you're true yeah. to your values, everything, every decision you make, you're going to feel much more confident um, when things are not going so well. Yeah, absolutely. That's great advice. Um, is there any captains in world cricket that in the women's game that you look at and study from them about their leadership and captaincy? I know you talk about Meg Lanning before was... Did you hone in on her style of leadership and learn from watching her go about things as a as a leader? Absolutely. Uh, I think Megan Lenning mostly in the intelligence of her game. I think she is the main one. I think her she for me she's she's a name that I'm always going to talk about captaincy. Uh, in terms of connection with players, um, I, I love Sophie Divine. Um, I know that sometimes she didn't play the captain role, but she, as a leader role, uh, I think she's a person that I always look up to because the way she connects, I'm never going to forget in the 2020 T20 World Cup, uh, New Zealand played versus Thailand. Of course, New Zealand won comfortably. As soon as the game finished, Sophie Divine went and spoke to the players of the Thailand, what they did well, what they did not do well, how they should play about their, go about their games in the, that the World Cup and stuff. She didn't need to do that. She didn't need to talk to anyone. Uh, but she was. She wanted to be the role model for the team that is coming up. Uh, and I, for me, that's something that I it, it touched my heart. So I think she's a role model as a person of connection, always. And uh, I, but I guess every captain that I person that we speak to, they teach you something. Um, in the fair break, I was able to play under uh, Loud and Winfield Hill, Heather Knight. Both of them, very different styles, but show me stuff that can be done. So I try to absorb as much as I can from all, all of them. But Meg Lenning, Sophie Divine, big, big role models for me. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Two of the game's great players in the women's game, leading the way and, and, and being great role models. Um, and um, 
you know, captaincy can can be an easy job once you master it. It's like the game of cricket. It'll take time to master, but once you master the skills, then it becomes like riding a bike, really. You just know what to do. Um, but obviously it's a bit daunting at first when you're, when you're captain. But I suppose um, in, in the men's game, Pat Cummins, for example, as a leader, he's a, he's a fast bowler and he's captain and he's leading from the front and his leadership has been very impressive um, and uh, leading the way for Australia. And, and um, you know, you can be a good captain and you can make a difference in the game on and off the field. And, and that's the important thing there. But it was good to hear about about your uh, insights on the team, Roberta, captaincy philosophy and, and how the team's tracking along. And I think everyone wishes the team all the, the success going forward uh, because it's a really great story, really great story, uh, just showing what you can do when you invest the time and effort into an associate nation like Brazil and like other countries as well, um, that, you know, they can achieve great things and, and, and that's only going to get bigger and better as the years to come. So uh, hopefully the team gets many more supporters, not only in Brazil, but also in the world as well, because we'll be watching closely. That's that's for sure. So it was great to hear your your insights and the background on the team and the players and, and what they're doing. It's fantastic work. Um, I thought we'd talk about now, Roberta, the growth and development of women's cricket within Brazil in terms of getting women's cricket into local communities, clubs, schools, and grassroots, etc. We've already touched on it a bit uh, today. And, and also in my chat with Matt Featherston on Cricket Brazil, we, we also talk about, talked about this as well in terms of growing the game in, in Brazil. But this is one of the challenges that most associate countries have is how they introduce women's cricket into the community and promote it. That's easier said than done. It's, it's much difficult in, in that regard for women's cricket, especially in associate nation. Um, so there's a lot of challenges there. You know, how do you establish grassroots programs, getting cricket into schools, having facilities like going down to your local park and you have a net and a pitch. Um, most pitches and cricket grounds in Brazil are not really cricket grounds. They're more football stadiums and artificial turf. Uh, sorry, artificial pitches, not turf. So you're not accustomed to, a, to, to playing on turf wickets, which are a bit variable than art, artificial or synthetic because it's pretty consistent. So how do we how do we how do we do that? Also establishing competitions and pathways and underage comps and that, um, and, and making cricket accessible to people, especially girls. You know, um, you know, how do you make it accessible watching on TV or on on in, on the internet or something? So there's a lot of questions that you have to try and work your way through and tick off and and try and uh, get that growth and development across. But and obviously Brazil is such a big country geologically; it is a very large country in South America. So there's a lot of areas and quite rural areas where people come from very uh, disadvantaged backgrounds. And how do you get across to them and those people there? I'm sure you've, you've done that traveling around the country, Roberta, trying to, you know, coach or coaching clinics or getting, you know, people involved in the game. Such a big country and such a, a large area to cover. So, Roberta, what are the challenges does Cricket Brazil have in trying to grow and develop women's cricket in the community, and do you see women's cricket becoming the number one women's sport in Brazil anytime soon? Mm, great question. Uh, I think there are challenges in Brazil uh, because at this moment, for example, we don't have enough coaches uh, to yeah. teach Brazil. 
Uh, we have 220 million people in Brazil. Uh, we have um, 37 coaches registered in Cricket Brazil, working with Cricket Brazil right now. So the first of all, we have to make sure that we are um, uh, teaching people uh, what cricket is, teaching people that want to teach cricket uh, in Brazil, which is something that's already happening with the university program and uh, is helping and growing very nicely here in the region that we are currently at. But there are opportunities. Um, women's sport in Brazil, unfortunately, is not really well developed. Uh, we have a little bit of handball. We have a little bit of football. We have a little bit of volleyball. We have a little bit of basketball, a little bit of athletics. But that's it. Uh, it's not really well structured. So when we come with cricket, a structured sport with a clear pathway, clear role models, uh, coaches that understand women's cricket, that is actually an opportunity for us because the other sports are not doing it so well. And cricket is. Uh, so it starts getting attention from, from girls because girls, unfortunately, they have a, a, the dropout rate when they are 12 to 14 is very big. They start uh, focusing more on schools. They start focusing more in house activities, social life. They lack role models. And these are things that cricket already works on. Uh, so I guess uh, we have an opportunity because other sports do not do it as intensely, as, as, as well structured as Cricket Brazil is doing right now. Uh, so for me, I see that as a positive instead of a, of a negative. And the growth of cricket is going to happen. The go growth of women's cricket is going to happen with the growth of cricket in Brazil. Because for us, it's, it's, not, a women's, it's not a men's sport. Um, so I think as, as cricket is growing in, the other con in other areas, the women's cricket is going to be growing at the same rate. And the infrastructure grows in the same rate as well. Uh, we try mm. to adapt as much as possible with the football. We have areas. We have green areas. We have green, uh, uh, we, we have grounds to play. We just have to make sure that we adapt. Uh, turf is still going to be an issue. We have a project that hopefully in the next three years, we're going to start having a turf wicket in Brazil. We saw the difference when we played the World Cup qualifiers in from artificial to turf. It's difficult. Mm. If you just play artificial, it's difficult. Same way, if you just play Australia turf, when you go to English turf, you, you struggle a little bit. Mm. Uh, so we, we we still want to develop a little bit of that. But considering that we have been developing cricket for Brazilians in 13 years, uh, it's still a long way to go. Uh, but the next 20 years, I'm pretty sure that we're going to be definitely top three sports in Brazil. Uh, and for women, I think that uh, football is going to grow. Uh, it's going to be difficult to catch football here in Brazil, but I definitely think that top two we can make as a women's sport uh, because the way it has been set up. It's not being set up to be a one-year growth. It's set up to be a whole development, a whole sustainable structure in Brazil. Uh, so we're going to think big, start small, which is our, one of our logos. And um, I, I think things are going to be really well developed and unfortunately, it is because other sports do not take advantage of women's sport the same way as we are doing. And uh, and oh, come on, cricket is fun to play. So the, <laughs> the girls Absolutely. are going to pick up on it the same way as we did. Absolutely. Uh, do you think cricket being in the Olympics would, would yeah. help that growth and development further increase because it's a global event and seeing you know other teams play the game and saying, hey, I... I don't mind this sport. This is a great sport. I might as well go try it out. I didn't know Brazil had a team. So do you think it will make a positive impact? 
Absolutely. If there is one event that Brazilians love is Olympics. <laughs> it's because we have summer all year round, so we play a lot of sports. Mm. Uh, but we don't have access to a lot of sports. For example, uh, you, you, you talk about um, even, even women's fit football. Uh, it's difficult to find clubs that have women's football with a pathway. And it's the biggest sport in the country. Uh, when you talk about women's tennis, very difficult to have access to. Uh, and it should be more access. So Olympics is a place that people see their sports, that people look for sports, people fall in love with the sports as, as spectators. Uh, so when cricket is part of it in 2028, they're gonna, it's going to give us so much reach. Like, okay, cricket, women's cricket, where can I do? What can we play? So we hope in the next five years, uh, 2020, uh, we have much more structure available in other centers. So people that see cricket, they're going to be able to come and uh, play cricket. We had a 2020 uh, World Cup broadcasted in Brazilian television uh, with Brazilian commentators. It was unbelievable how much it reached and how many people got in touch with us and how many people started talking about cricket. And that was on paid television, uh, T20 World Cup for two days. Imagine what the Olympics is going to be able to do in an open television and uh, everything else. I think that's going to be such a massive change for us. Absolutely. Many of the people I've talked to in this um, Associate Cricket Series have said, the same thing. It's a, it's a big game changer for associate countries, even though they're not a part of the tournament itself, but people will be watching in those countries and they'll be engaged with the sport and saying, oh, both men and women play cricket. So I might as well do some investigation and, oh, there's a, there's a team in my country. I didn't know that. Give it a go um, just for fun. Or if you want to, if you're good enough and you have some talent, some natural talent, then you can progress further and, and hopefully play for the country one day. So it's definitely a big game changer. Um, so what are the participation numbers like of women cricketers, girls uh, participating in, in Brazil? What, what are those figures like? Well, we currently have around in, my, in, in the hub, there's a big hub from uh, the development that is where we are currently based. We have about 5,000 kids playing weekly, not weekly, monthly. I say weekly, but it's the same group, so monthly. Um, and from that is 40, 40 something percent women, girls. Yeah. Uh, when you go to high performance, it's actually 55% girls, 45% boys. But it's just because of the professionalism. The professionalism made it a little bit bigger. Um, in other hubs, we have about two to 3,000 kids playing on the same participation, maybe 40% girls, 60% boys. Uh, because they the professional this is not there yet it's only grassroots uh, the plan for the next three years is actually to reach thirty thousand kids and you say wow there's a big gap big big jump from seven to thirty thousand uh but it's big all of that growth has been held by the covid uh so we lost two and a half years of development and uh, these is now these new hubs that we have been growing sao paulo brasilia rio us in Salvador are very well established and to grow now. Uh, so that's when we have the gap. So I think these numbers are going to go quite quickly. In terms of participation of people like that get involved with cricket, not part of the grassroots programs that get involved with cricket, we have about 25, uh, sorry, 45,000 people playing uh, that got involved with cricket in the year 2023. So you can see the numbers rising. You can see people 
getting in touch with cricket, uh, wanting to know cricket. And but the growth is not as aggressive because of the coaching. Um, we want to make sure that people who are starting to play cricket are able to follow the pathway. Uh, whether they just want to play softball, whether they just want to play local leagues, we want a competition for everyone, availability for everyone to make it sustainable. Uh, yeah. So, but the participation numbers are rising quite, quite rapidly, and um, we are super happy about how the development is going. Absolutely, uh, you mentioned it earlier uh, about the uh, sort of the variation of cricket in Brazil called taco ball. Um, does that have an impact on? Getting people involved in cricket because it's very similar, um, and and they think, oh, you know, both sports are very similar. I might give cricket a go. Has that made any difference at all? Absolutely, because when we start teaching cricket, uh, the first form of cricket that we teach, the recreational cricket, is very similar to tackle. Very hmm. very similar. We strip down the rules, the laws. We strip down the laws and just let people play recreational cricket for fun and that is yeah. looks so much like tackle we have three million people in brazil that plays tackle so literally we actually have all these people that play recreational cricket and they don't know uh so when we first contact them and teach them they're like oh but this is tackle i said no no this is cricket and we start <laughs> guiding them and in improving like more rules more structure uh uh equipment and everything else uh, so definitely impacts us positively and give us an opportunity of getting more people just because they know cricket. They just don't know that is cricket. Um, and we we played some tackle tournaments. The cricket players played some tackle tournaments. Oh, it, it was so much fun. And of course, uh, the cricket players got all the trophies from the tackle tournaments <laughs> uh, because it's just a, a, a much more structured um, a, a game uh, that came, but it's a strict game from Brazil. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now that's fantastic to hear that that it has that some sort of connection uh, between the two, which is which is fantastic. Um, and it's good to see that growth and development really kicking on in in, in Brazil when it comes to women's cricket. And it's, it's fantastic to see the numbers keep going up and up. Uh, in terms of the remote areas, trying to reach them, um, talk us through that sort of program or or how you do it the system how do you reach those people in low-lying communities very remote from the cities in the country areas how do you get them involved in the game what what do you try and do to get them actively involved uh i think the growth when you start talking about getting out of the hubs and growing the hubs to new areas uh or going the going to areas that do not have the access to cricket yet uh, I think it's based on a few a few pillars. Uh, the first of all, getting uh, coaches trained, getting people to know what cricket is. Uh, we have the education program here in Brazil from the Cricket Brazil uh, coaching uh, level one, level two, and then moving to the ICC level one, level two. Then we have the same for umpiring. Uh, so you see, when we see that there is a sense of opportunity of development, uh, the first thing we do is train people to teach cricket. Uh, because we don't need much to teach cricket to new, to new players. Um, it's the, we have the equipment, we have the kits, we have the balls, we have the areas, and we now have the coaching people 
because we have enough people to learn cricket. Uh, we just need people to help coaching cricket now. Uh, so the university program and the coaching cricket Brazil program uh, come towards that to make people have access to cricket. And because Brazil is a very sporty country with summer all around, uh, local communities, local governments uh, are big base of us as well, big support of us. Uh, so we come to them to so them can they can help us implement cricket in their um, in their cities. And one thing that helps a lot is that we have a very good uh, program here in our hometown, where cricket is not, does not come as a high performance sport. Cricket is coming as a way to change lives. Uh, the values of cricket help us a lot uh, because the values are very good for the communities. So we we take cricket for these local communities, not because we want to make a national team, but it's because we want to make sure that the community is better, that they have access to good sport, that they have access to good values. So it becomes like an um, educational, social uh, sport that eventually brings into high performance. Uh, but the main focus of cricket when we go into the, the new communities is how to make them better people, how to make them a better, um, uh, how to make role models from the community that can teach the community, and not only because we want to make Brazilian athletes. And I think that is that is our actually main goal uh, as Cricket Brazil vision to make people better, uh, not to make athletes. Uh, athletes are consequence, and uh, that's the way we sell. And it has been working very well. And that's the way that we can go to remote communities and make kids better uh, and uh, take cricket for them. Use cricket as a tool of empowerment and education. Absolutely, that's that's fantastic. And and uh, what what you're doing there, giving these kids who come from poor backgrounds and um, obviously don't have the luxuries as we do. Um, and um, for them to look forward to something like cricket, to give them a sense of purpose, and, and just telling them that, you know, when you can achieve anything from any background you come from, whether you're rich or poor, you can you can achieve anything and conquer everything. So that's, that's fantastic what you're doing there in terms of those un, underprivileged children and kids and, and boys and girls. But it's fantastic that cricket, as it does around the world, gives people purpose and hope and some happiness in their lives which is why we play this wonderful game and um, to, to hear about the growth and development of women's cricket but also cricket more broadly in Brazil from you is uh, is fantastic the good work that you're doing there obviously when we spoke to Matt he explained all those good programs and what they're doing there so it's just fantastic what what you can do in an associate country to grow and 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 develop the game of cricket which is wonderful stuff um roberta i, I thought we talk about women's associate cricket and women's cricket more generally and the challenges and what we need to do to make it more better and improve it going forward in 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 the world game because um women's associate cricket has has come leaps and bounds over the years there's a, there's um a lot more women's teams involved now uh, many females are taking up the sport, which is fantastic. Uh, and also many young girls all, all, all over the world are inspired to play women's cricket, seeing their role models on, on TV and wanting to be like them. 
Um, and many people are watching women's cricket, which is fantastic. The T20 World Cup final in 2020 between Australia and India at the MCG had 86,000 people who watched that final. So it just shows that people are invested in the in the women's game. And, and we see very talented players who are very skilled and talented in the women's game in, you know, full member countries, but also associate cricket as well, um, who are developing and becoming good cricketers. But, Roberta, as with anything in, in sport, especially women's sport, but women's cricket, there's still a long way to go. There's a lot of barriers. There's a lot of challenges facing the game in, in, in women's cricket the stigma towards women's cricket and and more broadly women's sport, that's something that lingers around um, a bit. Um, also trying to grow and develop the, the sport of cricket, especially for, for females around the associate countries, that's a bit difficult because a lot of countries are, are, are differently resourced and have challenges, and many of the female cricketers walk away from the game because there's no security or no... Uh, you know, future in the sport, which is a bit disappointing. Um, so there's a lot of challenges facing a lot of female cricketers who are from associate countries and also full member countries as well and, and the sport in general. So, Roberta, since you started playing cricket, what have been the big changes in women's cricket from when you started until now? And what are the areas that need to be improved in women's associate cricket, but also women's cricket more broadly? Yeah. Interesting. For me, the biggest change has been uh, how valued international has is becoming right now. Uh, when you talk about the 20, uh, 2020 final, 86,000 people at MCG, uh, Kate Perry, that big show, massive. You saw how the, they build up that tournament, uh, how that value of that tournament was compared to the 2017 uh, World Cup final in at Lords, uh, that was also full. It was like twenty six thousand people, twenty thousand people, mm. completely different. But again, I guess the twenty seventeen Lords final was one game changer because it made it. It was uh, England winning in England, and it, it helped a little bit. Uh, but you can see the difference in the, in the next World Cups. But the value that the women's cricket is having right now. A big part of that is the franchise uh, cricket in, in improving. You see how the WBBL has improved and the WPL, now massive values, uh, salaries being paid. Um, I guess all of that is helping a lot to showing the good, uh, how good women's cricket is. There is a market for it. There's people to watch it. Uh, so it's showing they're completely different. And why would you just develop uh, the second biggest sport in the world for 50% of the population. Let's develop the 100% of the population. Let's get everyone involved. And I, I'm pretty sure that's going to just help um, uh, cricket being developed around the world. For associate nations, I think that one of the biggest barriers that we have is competitions. We need to play more. Um, when we had the uh, uh, international status to play in 2018, it helped. But for example... Uh, for Brazil to play the next level of cricket outside the World Cup qualifiers, we have to play, for example, in Africa. We traveled to Africa in 2022, and that cost 10% of the Cricket Brazil annual budget to take one team to play for 21 days. 
not every country is going to have 10% of the whole financial budget to send one team to play for a tournament of three weeks. Um, so I guess like to play more competitive cricket, we have to develop more associate nations in the regions they are at. So we had to make sure that Chile is more developed, Peru is more developed, Mexico, Costa Rica, all these countries, apart from USA, Canada, have better cricket so we can play more competitive cricket in our own regions. Um, and that so that is going to be able to make us play more cricket or have more financial supports to have bilaterals and series and tournaments against countries in your rankings uh, so to allow yourself to play more cricket. I think that's something that it's missing uh, for women's cricket in general. Yeah, yeah I couldn't agree more, absolutely. Um, so do you think the ICC could could do more in terms of helping out women's cricket, but also women's associate cricket to those countries who may be struggling to keep players or try and build up facilities or programs that to, to really promote the sport? A few things are happening uh, already. I was part of the ICC Level 2 coaching uh, course, and I was very happy to find out, for example, that one new module of the course is on uh, how to coach girls. Uh, because I do believe that we play the same sport, but it's not. it should not be coached the same way. Um, I think there are particularities on women's and men's cricket that have to be taken into consideration by the coaches. So I was happy to learn, for example, that ICC is finally looking into that. Um, I think there are a few things on funding as well that is starting to change for ICC to support more women's development. Uh, but I don't think these things happen uh, quickly. Uh, I think the, they're going to improve uh, the development of women's sport, but it's going to take a little bit of time, maybe to five to 10 years to, to see those actions make big, have big impact. Um, so it, it's a slow process, uh, but I think it's we want answers now. We want women's sport taking the, the uh, they having results right now. Uh, so our expectations are way ahead from the results that we are getting. Uh, but yes, I think these steps are being taken right now. Yeah. And uh, would you say the same thing about the governing bodies from the full member nations that, uh, like Australia, for example, who heavily invested in women's cricket? Do you think they're, they're doing enough to help out the associate nations as well, those full member countries? When I was in Australia in 2017, I remember being part of a meeting and they were talking about women's growth and how they were investing in women's, um, and the women's national team, the women's league, the WBBL, the grassroots, everything. And uh, it was the first time that I saw a governing body talking about uh, investment in women's cricket like that. Um, and you could see it is not a coincidence, their dominance. It's not a coincidence why Australia has been dominant for so long, uh, but it's because of investment that the Cricket Australia made uh, to make sure that that happened. I think other countries are starting to pick up now, uh, but it's not everyone. I would love West Indies, South Africa uh, uh, to be doing the same thing. I think the other full members should all be doing the same, uh, but I don't think they're doing the same scale. Um, I wish they were, but I, I cannot take 100% that they are. Um, because if they want the results, unfortunately, they have to make the investment. Things are not going to happen in a non-professional way anymore for full members. 
uh, and the, the countries that are picking forward is are the, are the countries that have done the investment a few years ago and the results are finally coming. Yeah, absolutely. Would you like to see more full member countries play teams like Brazil and associate nations to, you know, further improve the growth and development of women's cricket across the board? Would you like to see that happen in the near future? Um, I think full members playing associate nations, if it is happening as the inspiration, uh, I think it can definitely help. Role models, creation of role models, showing you can't be what you can't see. So showing that next level can be very interesting. Uh, it, competitively, maybe it's, it's not going to be worth. But as an inspiration could be, maybe not even playing uh, as teams, but having role models from these nations coming more into coaching, more into uh, contact with these associate nations and uh, bringing their expertise. We still don't have enough female coaches in the world uh, for, 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 for all the teams that have been created. Uh, and I think that expertise has to start coming down soon. It is happening, uh, but it can happen even in a, in a more uh, broad aspect. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and also these uh, franchise leagues as well that are now popping up in the women's game more frequently, just like the men's, uh, is uh, happening at the moment. You have Fairbank, which you were a part of, that great tournament, including associate players from the women's game, the uh, Women's Premier League in India, the Women's Big Bash here in Australia. Uh, and we're seeing a lot more associate players take part in those competitions, which is Fantastic. What are your thoughts on on that, seeing associate women players be a part of those uh, franchise leagues? It, it's it's wonderful to see, isn't it? It's definitely very good. Uh, it shows that the gap is closing between full members and associate members. Um, when we played in Africa, it was unbelievable how, how good the next level already was. And... Um, uh, and how they are still far away from the full members, but they, the gap is closing. Uh, people, associate nations that didn't have as many opportunities are closing the gap from the ones that are top 10 to top 25. The top 10 to 25, they're getting close to the full members. And that's what we want, to make sure that in the future, we play a more competitively um, structure for women's and uh, that the ones that are in the bottom start growing and the ones that are already close to the top get even closer. And I think we have an opportunity of having even more players playing from associate nations in these franchise leagues um, because they are, they are starting to be more seen. And uh, that is result of the job that these countries are making and uh, the qualifiers is happening, is, uh, is, is happening with them as well. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And hopefully that continues on into the future. And as these leagues keep developing, they get more players in just to grow the game and and uh, really inspire the next generation of female cricketers, which is wonderful to, to see. Um, do you ever get frustrated when people say negative things about women's cricket, which are quite uh, very rude, um, if I can say that, that sort of stigma towards women's cricket or women's sport more broadly, does that ever frustrate you or you don't let it affect you and you just carry on by doing your own thing? But it, it must frustrate you in some way. I, I see that as an opportunity. 
because when I have like a when we get very bad comments on something, some of the things are so out of sense, like uh, mm. you should go back to the kitchen or things like that, uh, yeah. which doesn't even make sense. It's people that come yeah. with hate. Uh, yeah. For people that just want to come with hate, I see that they would come with hate with for a lot of things without any reason. Uh, yeah. So a few things, I, 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 a few people, I, I sense that there's no need to battle against them because they are not going to change their their mentality. Yeah. They just want to. They are over there to give hate. Uh, yeah. There are a few people that come with like lack of understanding and lack of. Uh, knowledge about women's cricket and I think there's an opportunity of actually, you know what let's talk to them, let's try to educate them, let's try to bring them, we yep. can have different uh, different um, uh, understandings and we can try to get in the same level, we can have well, you, he, he can believe in something, I can believe in something else, that's yep. okay, as long as we have an opportunity of learning from each other Good. and there are people that are really advocate for women's cricket that want to know more uh, yep. and I think so on these three levels, you have to choose the ones that you have. You want to talk more, and um, understand more, and uh, explain, and have maybe a person in the future that will support women's cricket. They're the people that just want to give hate, so you kind of ignore them. Yeah. Um, and you have the people that are really advocate for you, and uh, you just bring them to your side and talk even more to them. Uh, you, you, everybody has a right of having different opinions. Um, People may not like women's cricket. That's all right. Uh, that doesn't frustrate me as much as before. What frustrates me is lack of yep. opportunities. Uh, yep. Stopping people because they're women. Um, I think that is something that I like to battle against, even if they don't want to listen. Uh, <laughs> because I think women should have an opportunity. For example, yep. uh, when we started coaching in Brazil, people that used, would coach just boys, and we have a, a girl that throw the balls very strongly. But, but when you start throwing the ball, you don't have any control. You just have your strength. And um, a coach would come to them and say, no, 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 don't do that like that. Don't don't throw the ball too strongly. Don't, do not use so much power. And uh, my conversation with them was, it was different. It was like, no, you teach them how to throw with more accuracy, but you don't tell them to take off their power. Because would you tell a boy to do it with less power? No. Mm. Do not tell the girl the same because you we keep teaching them to do things more calmly when we wouldn't tell a boy. So, yeah, uh, my I think that frustrates me a little bit to see people that are coaching for 20 30 years of their lives, uh, doing it different for boys and girls. Yeah. I feel things have to be different, but a lot of them are just because they are patronizing girls. Uh, so that frustrates me more than actually the hate that we see online about women's, women's sport and things like that. But I like the battle. I like to try to, to show people how their conceptions can be different and how that actually improves their work and improves the, per the person that are coming to the pathway. Absolutely. Um, I suppose women's cricket's just, well, it's still cricket. Nothing's changed there. You're batting a ball. It's just played differently. Different skills, different players, different uh, talent, different techniques. It's just in a different way. Um, as you said, education probably is something that people may need to read up on women's cricket because women's cricket, you know, women have been playing cricket for many, many years in the game since the 1800s, you know. So it's quite quite not a new thing that women play cricket, but it's fantastic to see, you know, 
girls and, and females have the opportunity to play this sport that we all love because cricket's a game for all. It's, you know, we don't exclude anyone. We don't, you know, uh, shoo people away. We, we embrace everyone of all different cultures and backgrounds. And regardless if you're male or female, you, you have the right to play the game of cricket that we all love. So it, it's just, it's still cricket, women's cricket. It's, it's just played differently. That's all. And that's what the game's about. It's a different way of playing the game. And there are some very talented players that are playing, uh, you know, women's cricket at the moment and doing some great things. And and hopefully the growth and development of women's cricket will continue to go further and further in the years to come. We've already seen that. And uh, long may that continue. So it was good to, to hear your thoughts about women's associate cricket and women's cricket more broadly, Roberta. But I thought we'd talk about a more serious topic and issue now. Um and talking about mental health within cricket, because it's something that all cricketers battle a lot and people in society. And we see more and more international players, male and female, come out openly and, and speak about their difficulties and challenges, taking breaks from the game because of that. Because cricket's such a demanding sport. It, ta- it takes a lot out of you mentally. And at the end of the day, people are just human beings. and They need that time to take a break and reset and help themselves and and uh, that's a good way of showing that to people that it's not weak to speak because if you if you are going through some difficulties which we all are in life it's okay to speak out seek help from family or friends or even your doctor or psychologist or whatever because we all go through it and uh, it's something that we need to talk more openly about and and you shared that uh, with everyone recently about your battle with depression and how that affected you and and your cricket I think I read that you said I hated the game I wanted not to play cricket anymore because I felt you know I just didn't want to do it anymore so you were going through that but you're in a much better headspace now which is fantastic to hear Uh, but as I said it's that stigma that hangs around people think it's a weakness and all this rubbish it's it's not Um, it is something that we need to to work on and deal with in our lives And on the podcast, we've done a few episodes on that. And we'll leave links to those in the description of this episode for people to watch. I spoke spoke to some really good people, Uh, obviously my cricket coach about it, just to get his perspective from it, but also from Mark Boynes, who does great work in England. Uh, He has an organization and charity called Opening Up, which he goes around to cricket clubs around the world and also in the UK to educate them about cricket. And about mental health and how to deal with that. And uh, we'll leave links to those in the description of this episode. But, Roberta, if you could share with us your journey dealing with depression and and going through that. And is cricket and sporting bodies doing enough to support players who suffer from mental health issues? Very interesting topic. I actually have opening up stuff here with me. uh, I think the national bodies, uh, they are starting to adapt to this situation. I say that for Brazil, for example, I was the first person to talk about uh, mental health to my cricketing board and saying I need a break. Uh, nobody before me came and, and said anything like that. So, But Brazil already, for example, had... Since when we got contracted, we had a mental coach, 
so we got as soon as we got contracted, we got physical and strengthening coaches, technical coaches, and a mental coach. So it has always been part of our culture to take care of ourselves. Um, so it was, uh, I'm not going to say it was easy for me. It was difficult for me to realize that I was going through a mental breakdown. Uh, but once I realized that I had the support of Cricket Brazil, um, we didn't know exactly how to deal with that, but we knew that we had to deal with that. So I guess the governing bodies are starting to, some, not all of them know what to do, but they know that they have to act on it. Uh, I, I, I'm going to say it's new, but I think it's new just of people talking about it. Because when we talk to older players, all of them have gone, not all of them, but all of them know somebody that had gone through uh, a moment that is not, it, things are not working. Or no players that had to give up on the game or no players that had gone through some very bad patches in their lives. And uh, uh, didn't ex they had to deal with that by themselves or hide it. Worse of it, hide it. I remember when I first said that I hated the game and I actually meant it. And I'm a person that would arrive um, at a cricket ground uh, I worked in the office for many years, but I arrived in the cricket training center and it's green, blue skies. And I, I walk over there. I usually walk over there by myself. I'm the first one to arrive and that's the silent and there's the wind. And I sit and I get my stuff. I start warming up. I love it. I completely love this moment of my life. And I, 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 I'm always very grateful that I do that for a living. And I remember once I got into the training center and I said, I absolutely hate this. I don't mm. want to do this. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be with these people. I don't want to play. And it's not because I want. I didn't want to be involved with cricket, but I didn't want to be involved with anything. And yeah. um, unfortunately, that happened. I had that realization uh, when I was on tour in England. And uh, then I had that full realization when I came back to Brazil 40 days before the South American Championship last year. And I remember that as soon as I came back to Brazil, I started going to therapy again. Uh, so I had a mental coach from Cricket Brazil, but I started therapy outside. And uh, I had very, very strong conversations with my therapist whether I should go to the South American Championship or not, because I knew that I was in no state of going. I knew that I, I, was, I was not well, but I was a captain. And who was going to take that spot? We didn't have anyone in succession ready to do that. So I remember the, the competition happened about seven hours away from here by car. And I said, if the bus goes without me, I'm going to get into my car and I'm going to drive there, which is going to be worse because I'm not going to be in a good mental state and I'm going to be driving for eight hours by myself. So I decided to go. Uh, we made a plan. Uh, to go so I had with the coaches I sat with the therapist and I said to the coaches like this is what I can do I can play I cannot be the the person that is going to cheer everyone up I cannot be the joyful person this tournament I cannot be all these things that I usually am so I need you guys to be that so I spoke to a few girls of the team like I, I need your support on these these and that and uh, I, I actually played one of my best tournaments I don't know why um <laughs> But I remember having a, a, a panic attack. Not a panic attack, yeah. but I had a, something uh, in the middle of uh, innings versus Argentina. And Argentina was, for the first time, scoring a lot of runs on us. They scored maybe 130 runs, something like that, on us. It, that's not happened in a long time. 
And I remember the 14th over, I went to Deep Square Leg and spoke to the coach and said, I, I need to leave. He said, what? <laughs> no, I need to leave. He said, no, no, you've got to, you've got to stay there. I said, but I, I, I can't stay here. I, I have to go. I finished the innings and I was number three to bat. Uh, and I was sitting down and I, I spoke to Matt. I said, Matt, I want to go home. He said, go. I said, no, no, I want to go home now. He said, go. And I remember in my head thinking, okay, I need to get my car. And my, my car wasn't there. So I, I started making mm -hmm. this plan in my mind on how I was going to get out of there. I had pads on. I had gloves and a pad on my hand. So I, 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 but I was planning how to, I was going to get out of there. And then I realized I can't get out of here. The bus is not here. I can't go home. And I was sitting to bat. And I went, I went in very early. I went in maybe third over. I, I don't remember anything on that whole innings. I, I, the only thing that I remember in that innings is the last ball that I batted. And I, I think we needed one run and I pulled one to the um, to 45 or square leg, something like that. I ran two and there is a picture of me on that moment. And the picture of me, I, I, I give it like this huge scream of relief. And uh, then there's another picture of me that I'm holding my bat. Everybody's happy, smiling and celebrating because we had just won the South American Championships. And the uh, there's this picture of me holding my bat, looking down, completely gone, completely terrible. And I, I, I'm talking to you about that picture now, and I feel that pain right now. And I, I promise myself that I'm never going to go through that again. Um, never going to put my mental health on that situation again in my whole life. I love Brazil. I love cricket Brazil, but I do have to love myself first. And um, uh, I played the last game. I organized the the, the, beast, the bit of the men's tournaments that I was there to organize. And I said, guys, I'm not coming back until I feel better again. Uh, maybe a month, maybe two, maybe three, maybe never. I don't know. And I came back. Three months after, I came back. And this is something that I haven't spoken about much yet. Uh, but everything, uh, the, our mental coach asked us to write a letter. Uh, and I remember that I came back around 15th of January. And I wrote a letter on the 30th of January. It's written over there, it's dated. And this letter we just opened in the end of the year again. So I received my letter uh, uh, right before I came back on holiday. Written. And as soon as I started reading it, it was such a low letter. I thought I was okay. When I came back, I thought I was well. I read the letter, and the letter says something like, um, uh, uh, "Love game, love the game again. Have fun again. But if you're not having fun, step away." Uh, but the, the the last paragraph or something similar to, um, "I hope that when you read this letter again, you find the joy to live." And for me, that was so powerful because I thought I was well. I thought I was over the mental breakdown, but once I read that letter, I realized that I was still in a process of getting better. And I was still in a process of finding joy, finding happiness, finding things. So it's funny how mental health actually plays with you because mm. you don't know how you got in. You don't know exactly how to get out. And once you start to get out, you're still in a battle for some time. So today, uh, I, I, I talk openly about it, and I say that my happiness now is real. When you see me happy, I'm happy. Uh, but you also see me sad. 
uh, you also see me low. So I don't hide anymore the feelings. I feel the feelings. So if I'm not well, I'm not going to force to be uh, well. Uh, so that made me a better player, I guess, because if I'm low because I'm stressed with my job, I still have to perform. I'm going to perform. But if I'm low because I'm depressed, I may not perform because I'm going to treat my take care of myself first. Uh, so I, this year taught me it's like how to deal with your feelings, how to feel your feelings, and how to actually take them in consideration when you have to perform and when you have to stop and take care of yourself. Uh, so it has been a very revealing year. Uh, I'm super happy to say that I'm much better placed. Uh, but I'm what I'm most proud of is actually understanding how well I'm, I'm dealing with my feelings and uh, learning how to deal with them in life, in real life. Yep. And I think that is something that uh, it takes time. Uh, and But we do have to talk about it. Uh, my experience is going to help somebody else. Their experience is going to help me. And we're going to learn how to support each other because it's not about changing something in your mind and everything changing. No, you have to digest everything and changing change the way you deal with things. And that is not easy uh, to unlearn something that you've done your whole life. Um, but it's completely definitely important to listen up and speak and open up uh, when you need to. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it's, well, thank you for sharing that with us. And um, I can, I think many people can relate to that. It is, it is a battle, um, obviously, be between, um, you know, yourself and, and your feelings and your mind and um, trying to get out of this rut or, or a low period in your, in your life and trying to get better again, um, which, which is often difficult. And I think most people can, can relate to that. But I, I think the key message is that you're not alone. A lot of people do go through their problems and issues and deal with different feelings and, and all that stuff. So it, it is very important to speak openly and, and encourage people to seek help. And, you know, it's okay to speak to someone if you're not feeling great. You, you don't have to feel great all the time. We feel low and then we feel happy. So it's, it's a part of being human. Um, any tips you would give to someone who is going through their own mental health battle and journey? What piece of advice would you give them to, to help them? Uh, I would definitely strongly talk to them about seeking help. In uh, seeking help, it doesn't mean that you have to go for a therapist and get, get external help. Sometimes seeking help is just being able to have that person that you can talk to openly without judgment that listens to you. Uh, I think somebody that actively listens um, without trying to give you the solution sometimes. Uh, sometimes it's just a question of listening so you can process your thoughts. Um, but seek help is, for me is the main factor. Um, the second one, I think is very difficult at the start, but you've got to celebrate the very little wins. Um, I, I, I celebrated the first time that I went to the gym and did not finish my set, but I went to the gym because uh, I know that the gym makes me feel good. I, I didn't want to go. Uh, so I went to the gym for the first time. I celebrated the day that I actually had a whole day that I ate healthy things because I wasn't eating anything healthy. Uh, so celebrate these very little things because that means that you're going to the right step. I read once a guy giving, um, uh, he, was very, he was very depressed 
and he wouldn't have the courage or not the courage, the willingness to go and have a bath. So he started celebrating every time that he would go and have a bath because that meant that he had the courage to get out of his um, to, to his bed and do something good for himself. So I think celebrate the little wings, mainly the wings that are doing very small stuff that are good for yourself, that are normal when you're well, but they're not normal when you're badly. So seek help, celebrate little wings, and find things that you have joy. Ah, okay, I have joy into... Uh, oh, sorry, my dog stopped. I have uh, things that I have joy. Sometimes they're not as clear as you want. And sometimes they're super easy, but you have to know exactly what they are. And they cannot be your work. And they cannot be your obligations. They have to be things that you like. I like to sit down in my garden on the afternoon, barefoot, just sit over there with my dogs and read a book. I, I, and when I was not well, I didn't do that once. And now I do that once, twice a week. I sit over there for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, one hour. doesn't matter how long. Uh, but I sit over there with my dogs, read a book, and that's it. But you have to find these little moments. And uh, when you start not having time for your life, when life starts getting too difficult, too busy, you start forgetting those little moments, forgetting to do those little moments. And they are our fuel on our mental health. So you have to make sure that you're doing them and putting them into your priorities because you need to be the priority of your life. Absolutely. I think that's great advice for anyone who may be struggling with their own mental health and, and their own personal journey. Um, if this has raised any questions about your own mental health, if you're watching or listening, and your well-being, please seek help from the various organisations available in your country. They can put you on the right track to get that help that you need. Um, if you're watching or listening to this episode in Australia or the UK, uh, we'll leave some good links to some good organisations that can help you in regards to your mental health, so check them out. We'll leave a link to them in, in the description of this episode. Uh, Roberta, we, we finally come towards the end of our discussion. It's been a wonderful chat that I've had with you today. Uh, but there's one more thing that we have to talk about. And um, before we talk about what the future holds for women's cricket in Brazil, I know it's very hard to predict the future as we know because it's very uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen. But we, we can predict what could happen. Um, so, Roberta, how do you see women's cricket in Brazil, women's associate cricket and women's cricket going into the future? What's your prediction going into, into the future? I, 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 I just hope cricket can be seen as a sport for everyone. That, for me, like... Uh, we're talking about our kids or our grandkids like, oh, yes, when I played, just men could play. And that's not a reality anymore. Um, for me, doesn't matter how many, how much value the player is worth on an option, as long as people that are starting now all can play cricket, uh, boys or girls or wh whoever. Uh, but for me, what I would love to happen for Brazil Associate and full members is that cricket is a game for everyone, and not only in the paper, but in real life. Uh, for me, that would be the dream come true. Yeah, I think that's a great prediction, and, and hope women's cricket in Brazil continues to grow and the team keeps achieving great things, and women's cricket, associate cricket, continue to grow as well, because it's uh, it's um, wonderful to see that growth and development, but we've, we've still got a long way to go. Um, 
Roberta, thank you so much for joining me today for this Associate Cricket Series episode to discuss all things Brazil women's cricket, your cricketing journey. It's been wonderful to, you know, talk to you about those things. Um, and, I'm, and I'm sure everyone watching or listening would feel the same as well. Now, Roberta, if, if people want to get in touch with you, ask you questions or uh, anything about women's cricket or cricket more broadly, where can people get in touch and um, do that? Well, they can easily find me on social media, on Instagram or Twitter, X actually, uh, on Moretti Avery. Um, I'm very present on both of these uh, social medias. I like to share a lot of my routine, cricket, women's sport, uh, and mental health over there. So it will be a pleasure to get any questions or anything uh, on any of the social media uh, whenever I can help. Absolutely. We'll leave links to those in the um, description of this episode so people can check it out. Uh, before we go, remember to like, share, comment, and subscribe. And click the bell to make sure you get the latest episodes of the podcast. Be sure to like and share our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Most of the podcast is available on Anchor, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you, Roberta, for joining me today to discuss all things Brazil women's cricket and your cricketing journey. I hope all of you watching or listening to this Associate Cricket Series episode learned a lot about women's cricket in Brazil from Roberta and her cricket journey. Until next time, keep safe and... Bye for now.